This time on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 385, we talk Black Widow and weekly Marvel news. I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Giddy Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at GuinnessGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Thursday, July 22nd, 2021, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast skywide at www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy National Mango Day. I celebrated early. I had mango mochi yesterday with dinner. Hmm. I like mangoes. I don't have any in the house right now. Same. I Mangoes are so good. I usually, we clementines, mangoes, that sort of thing, is usually around Christmas around here. Christmas mangoes. Huh. They're usually a like a summer food for me. Oh, I could go for a mango nada right now. Anyway. Okay. We'll get on with the rest of the show before we get too hungry here. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes. Because of Pockets. If you'd like to talk to us about Pockets, you can contact us through our website, legendsofshield.com. You can talk about the glorious inclusion of pockets in any garment by leaving us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can get a hold of us on Facebook at Legends of Shield Podcast. We're on Twitter at Legends of Shield. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. You can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Just want to say before we get into the remainder of the show here that we have now entered into the era of commercial space tourism, privatized space tourism. You got the money, you can go up, you can pay somebody for a ride. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, a bunch of billionaires which is great. I mean, you can go into space, but let me ask you this. Can you live in a sky city? I would rather live in a sky city than go to space, honestly. Right? Because I know I'm probably one of those people, there's like a certain percentage of people who will just throw up no matter what when you go to space, and I'm pretty sure I'm probably one of that percentage. I mean, instead of a helicarrier, it's a city. And I mean, that it's just so cool. I mean, okay, here's the thing. I would be on board, except for in multiple Marvel movies and other properties, we have seen the Sky City crash and crash and crash, causing death not only to the people in the Sky City, but to the people below. Good so <laughs> that's a no for me. I could say the same thing for a lot of science fiction in space. There's a lot of destruction and bodily harm and death for that, too. So, I, don't, I mean, if you got to choose one or the other. But I guess if you're going by strictly Marvel, just space does have a better record than yes. Sky City. Yes, I would rather go to space. If we're living in the Marvel world, space. Okay, okay space. with that qualifier, space. Yeah, if it's Marvel world, space. Because Sky City's poor trouble, poor trouble. But space, on the other hand, Marvel space is cool. All right. So with that settled, I think it's time we talk a little bit about Marvel and Sky Cities and possibly some space. Today, we'll be talking about Black Widow. It was released in theaters and simultaneously on Disney Plus on July 9th, 2021. Warren, who directed the movie? 
This movie was directed by Kate Shortland, who has 11 directing credits starting in 1998, including four of Bad Cop, Bad Cop, 10 of The Secret Life of Us, Lore, Berlin Syndrome, and, of course, Black Widow. Hey, the uh, writers uh, for the movie, well, we have the screenplay by Eric Pearson, who has eight writing credits starting in 2011, including Marvel One-Shot, The Consultant, Marvel One-Shot, Item 47, Marvel One-Shot, Agent Carter, three episodes of Agent Carter, Thor Ragnarok, Godzilla vs. Kong, and Black Widow. The story was by Jack Schaefer, has six writing credits starting in 2009, including WandaVision, which created and wrote two episodes, and of course, Black Widow. And story by Ned Benson has seven writing credits starting in 2003, including The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, Him, Her, and Them, and Black Widow. I got to say, before we continue on with the cast of the show, I feel like I already know these people, the writers and the producer, of course, and the uh, director of the show, just because we've been watching stuff that they've also done really recently. So it's really cool that Marvel is able to integrate lots of people and interweave those storylines and the knowledge of the Marvel universe into their stuff. I think it's really great. So Lauren, why don't you kick off the cast of the movie? Well, we're starting off with Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff. We all know that she's been Natasha Romanoff in all these movies. We also have Florence Pugh as Elena Belova, who SP wrote Father of the Bride Part 3-ish in the notes. I would like to point out that she's incredible in Midsummer, Little Women, and Fighting with My Family, which is a movie based on WWE star Paige. We also have Rachel Weiss as... Melina, you may know her from the Mummy series with Brendan Fraser. Well, the first two, the good two. We also have David Harbour as Alexi slash Red Guardian, who you might know from Stranger Things in the most recent Hellboy movie. Ray Winstone as Drakov. He has been in a bunch of stuff, including that CGI Beowulf movie a few years back, that King Arthur movie with Clive Owens. We have O.T. Fagbenle, who plays Mason who you might know from, first of all, Aquaman, and his amazing turn in Watchmen, the HBO series. We have William Hurt returning as Secretary Ross, and Olga Kurlienko as Antonia slash, spoilers, Taskmaster. This is really spoilers. I mean, we all saw the movie. We're good. Okay, so I went into this thinking that O.T. Fagbenle was going to be Taskmaster. I saw stuff about it. I think we've reported news articles about it. So then he shows up as Mason, and I'm like, wait a minute, is Mason Taskmaster? I was really confused. And then there was that twist, and I was like, oh, no. Honestly, it was a good misdirect in the news leading up to it. And it might have been spoiled just because the film was delayed. We'll talk about the delay later. So the film starts in Ohio in 1995, which is really neat to me personally, because I was actually in Ohio in 1995. So I could have been next door neighbors to the spy family. So that's pretty cool. But the spy family is there. And honestly, not knowing too much of the Black Widow background in the comics, it took me a long time to figure out if any of these people were indeed or not related to each other. So it was the core of the movie. I really like how they opened it. And to the uninitiated, like myself, it was really a mystery as the film went. Of course, everything was revealed during the film. But at the beginning, you're like, uh, what is, is, are, is this really, uh, I don't know. I, it, anyway, it was really cool. We all want to talk about the family. I think Michelle should have the first word about the family. What is family? That one of the things that, a lot of people and a lot of my friends have always talked about with what makes a family. Is it just being related by blood or is it actually finding people who you have a connection with what we call a found family? And I know a lot of people who are in basically found families because they're, you know, relate people didn't care for them or there just wasn't enough of a connection. And I thought it was interesting watching Natasha. She's recently, you know, been burned by the divorce of the Avengers. So that's one family that fell apart. And now she's confronted with this 
family that technically she was forced into, but then realizing that the three years together did create a bond, especially with Elena, she being the youngest one going, the best years of my life were fake, but she really did see them as family. And that is one of the, the nicer arcs of the film is watching Natasha go from I'm alone. The Avengers burned me. I'm alone to finally realizing that I have more than one family. Yeah, I am a sucker for found family in media and in real life. My family, I'm very lucky. I come from a very close-knit family, but I have also been kind of gathering up friends and making them my family. And yeah, it's a big deal, especially in the queer community where people may not have that acceptance. Here, we have these two characters, Natasha and Yelena, who, you know, they're told they were orphans. We find out later that's not true. And that whole setup, if any of y'all have seen the FX show The Americans, it reminded me a lot of that. And not because the kids on that show were essentially adopted, but because of the whole, oh, they're here in this town and then they have to go. Unfortunately, they do not get to stay together <laughs> when everything goes bad and they go. The scenes in the car where they're playing American Pie, David Harbour revealed in an interview, he was the one that suggested that as like, oh, what if this was the touchstone for Yelena specifically because she was so young and when she started getting homesick or something, play this. And that scene of the family being ripped apart just broke my heart, especially knowing, oh, these kids who are just having this a childhood are going to be basically tortured and brainwashed into being assassins, black widows. And as we find out later, Natasha gets out, Yelena does not, and Yelena is subject to, I keep thinking of it as Order 66 because I've been watching The Bad Batch. Mm. Yeah, I've been watching The Bad Batch, too. I, I could see it basically some sort of mind control or order control or something like that. Yeah. And, and it, at the beginning of the movie, she actually gets out of it. So I'm wondering if the comments between her and Natasha later on are how heartfelt they are in relation to her release from the mind control. You know, the mind the anti-mind control drug, the, the red drug that is enabling free will basically there. Now, I want to go back to the family in Ohio. I think this whole movie worked a lot more to me with David Harbour as the Red Guardian because he was hilarious. I mean, he was just this this goofy guy with these superpowers that was Soviet, and he was going against Captain America. We'll talk about that later throughout all the years and everything, and he just pulled it together to me. I know he wasn't the star of the show. But he was like the, almost like the comic sidekick of the family, and yet he is the dad of the family and supposed to be, in Soviet terms at least, the head of the family. I mean, it was so great. It was the moment, it was funny yet heartfelt when after they get out of the helicopter and they're on the way to find, you know, mom, he's like, my girls, you know, my youngest became one of the most lethal assassins and has killed <laughs> countless people. And Tasha became a super spy and toppled all these worlds. And now she's an Avenger, you know, like the river of blood you have spilled. It makes me so <laughs> proud. It was both heartfelt and hilarious at the same time. I love that we find out that like, despite the, he's the one that we see trying to reach for the girls when they land you see when he's in the prison and he has his shirt off he has their names tattooed on his arm and he's the one who is kind of romanticized all of this the family thing you know you see him being the proud dad you see him making terrible dad jokes i think if i was going to psychoanalyze him i could say that the goofiness is partly like oh because he's really a good guy and also because he failed his family so utterly by thinking he was doing the right thing. Melina, we also see, despite the fact that she is, you know, much more reserved, much more cold, that scene with Alexi the pig was horrifying to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And we find out, you know, she's the one who's partially responsible for Yelena having all that particular trauma. But she still cares for these two. You think at points like, oh, she's betrayed them. But no, the whole time it's these people mattered to her more than an ideology. She only did that when it was like, well, I don't have these people anchoring me anymore. And that's one of the things that I really like about this movie. And again, sucker for found family. These people are stronger when they are anchored together, whether that's Natasha and this family, Natasha and the Avengers, Yelena. You know, yeah, she was super effective as an assassin, but we see her here learning to be a person, which is another narrative thing that I really, really love. Her buying that vest and, oh, that was heartbreaking. <laughs> the scene where David Harbour is pouring his heart out to Natasha, I think it was, and thinking he has an earpiece in, and Melina's like, no, no, you, you don't actually have an earpiece. And he's like, what? I have no earpiece? Oh. It was good. And then when he's getting set to fight Taskmaster at the end, that that was, I mean, every scene that he was in, it, it was lighting it up. And he was not, I would consider, the star of the movie. I think the star of the movie was Natasha and Yelena. I, th I think that's pretty evident here. And you had people around them. It was almost an ensemble cast versus a singularly led even though the only person that we really knew coming, I mean, I guess Thunderbolt Ross, but the only person that we really knew coming in was Natasha. You, you were just surrounded by the whole ensemble. It's kind of like a Guardians of the Galaxy sort of film. Which is another found family film that I love. Marvel, okay, again, this is both comics and the MCU. Marvel does found family really, really well. And here, yeah, we see Natasha. She's burned by the Avengers and she's burned by the reminders of her past. And it's the reminders of her past that anchor her to the present and send her forward to be like, okay, I guess I got to get these idiots out of jail. She just busted her fake dad out of a, a Russian prison. I mean, super jail can't be that hard, huh? Yeah, in the face of an avalanche because your sister blows up one of the guard towers with a bazooka, basically. It, the, whole, the whole thing was it's like, okay, what else can go wrong? Boom. Okay. And then with the helicopter runs out of gas, they don't just land lightly. It just falls out of the sky. Boom. And since they're all, they all have some sort of super serum in them. They, none of them get hurt with the, uh, with the uh, crash landing there. Let's talk a little bit about where this was supposed to be, because so far on this podcast, we've talked about WandaVision. Great series. We've talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, much needed after Endgame. And we've talked about Loki. Then Black Widow comes out. That was the order of things. That's not how this was all supposed to come out. And when I was watching the movie, that went into my mind. And I had to do some research on where this was supposed to be. I mean, I think we all knew that it was supposed to be first. But where it was supposed to be, and then where Loki was supposed to be, and then what was supposed to happen in between there, right? So if you guys... Well, indulge me for a second. I'm going to go through the list here. I found the original release dates, pre-COVID release dates of all this stuff. The first one, of course, was Black Widow. It was supposed to premiere May 1st, 2020. And I think shortly before that, that is when all of the movie theaters shut down. And they, I, I think Mulan was trying to press forward with an opening and they just couldn't. And this was a couple of weeks later. So Disney really took it in the shorts for some big ticket movies that they had out there. And this was one of them. Then in August, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, was supposed to come out in August of 2020. Then the movie Eternals. And that original premiere date was supposed to be November 6th. Then WandaVision in December. And then... Following in February, in the Deadpool time slot, basically, the Chang Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings were supposed to come out in February of 2021, followed by Loki in May of 2021. And then in May, May 7th of 2021, was supposed to be Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I think where Loki ended, we can see where. Uh, Doctor Strange was supposed to be, and then later on that summer was supposed to be Spider-Man No Way Home. Original premiere was July 16th, 2021. So when you take a look at that original timeline, where we are now, 
what we've seen already, what we haven't seen already, you can see how this would have been more impactful to the MCU right after Endgame coming out and seeing Natasha again a few years earlier. I think it would have worked better then. Actually, I'm going to disagree. And this is why the last in credit scene where we get Yelena at the graveyard and then we get Valentina, that is that really doesn't make any sort of sense. It's just some random woman played by Julie Louise Dreyfus. She has a purple streak in her hair and she's allergic to the mid, you know, the Midwest. Okay, that's interesting. They both want to pay raise. It's great. But I like the fact that we got to know who she was in Falcon and Winter Soldier because then when we saw her, when I saw her in Black Widow, I could actually go, well, does she actually not, was she able to get Yelena and the other widows? Because one of the other things that this film, you know, touches on, Dentasha got out and then she didn't really check in on anyone. And then Natasha was like, okay, widows, you're, you know, what, the gas, you're free. When you've been a captive for so long and have only known one way of life, you just can't release them and expect them to know how to go to the grocery store or how to get an apartment. So the fact, you know, that they came in and here's another found family, you know, with mom and dad and Elena going off in that helicopter. Are they all of them hooked up with her and now considering, you know, that she has U.S. agent. And so like seeing that, it's like, I felt like that in scene made a lot more sense to me because I saw Falcon and Winter Soldier first. I am of two minds about where I think this movie should have gone. I think it just kept coming into my head when I was watching this movie. I really wish this had been out before Infinity War. But at the same time, narratively there was so much in there that was more poignant because it was a callback like the vest which Gwen's dad yeah that is that is still on Vormir it's very sad that vest needs to be back with someone who loves it just you know little things you know what's coming it's the dramatic irony of it and the writer in me appreciates that and again the end scene it would have hit differently if it was out before falcon and winter soldier yeah i nerd comic reader know who val is but your average viewer doesn't however she would have been a lot more shady if falcon winter soldier hadn't come out first she's still shady in falcon winter soldier but i feel i was anyway less positive that she was outright malicious though this kind of changed my mind a bit who knows she's chaotic i really enjoyed all the action scenes in this movie i think they're they were done incredibly well you're talking mostly not in exclusively but mostly either female stuntmen stunt people or guys dressed up as women or, or whatever but i think all the stunts were done really well and i wish i would have done some research into who actually was the stunt people for all this stuff but you had the escape from ohio which is kind of a chase scene but you still had red guardian out there throwing cars and explosions and stuff like that you had the serum fight in morocco which was great you also had the bridge fight for black widow as taskmaster was coming after her you had the Budapest or Budapest, Budapest, I guess, Budapest apartment scene between the sisters. And I watched it the second time. So the first time I'm watching it, I'm like, uh, I don't know if these two are really at each other or whatever. The second time I could see that they were pulling punches and they didn't want to kill each other, but they were still wanting to get the upper hand sort of thing, just like any normal sibling fight. It was really fun to watch it that from that perspective. And then their escape from the apartment later on when they're running on the rooftops and stuff like that you had we talked about it already the escape from the prison that was just hilarious <laughs> in its totality and you had the capture at Molina's home which i think had to happen we haven't talked about that yet had <laughs> to happen in order to get to the red room and then you had the red room final battle which was basically the city coming down from the sky because it was the only way to get him and and natasha activating her tracker i guess she still had the tracker on her and she activated it so that uh 
Thunderbolt Ross could actually find his way to her because there's no way that Thunderbolt Ross is going to be able to find. You know what I was thinking this entire movie was Thunderbolt Ross couldn't find the Hulk and he's trying to find Natasha. He can't find this mindless beast. And now he's going after the super spy. Yeah, you're out of your class, Thunderbolt Ross. The only way that she gets caught is she gets, turns herself in, basically. Which she ends up not doing? Yeah, basically, because two <laughs> weeks later, she's out, right? Yeah. yeah, she's like, and I'm gone. I think yeah. the whole thing there was, she was like, well, look, we know he's after me. We don't want you to deal with any of this while you're dealing with all of the rest of this. So I'm going to lead him on a bit of a chase, misdirect him, talk to you later. Yeah, Thunderbolt Ross is very much someone with, um, I forget what it's called, like the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people think they're a lot better at something than they really are. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he thinks he's all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's for sure. The action was so good. I remember when Iron Man 2 came out and they were like, yeah, Natasha's fighting is based a lot on Lucha Libre style because it's like, okay, you need somebody who's physically smaller to be able to take down someone bigger. Who does that a lot? Wrestling. And so you see all of the widows doing this very agile grappling, using people's body weight against them. And it's, it just made me very happy. And then you have, you know, Red Guardian with the brute force and just that, <laughs> that uh, contrast. Again, I loved. We get to talk about the pose, the fighting pose. That was, God, that was, so that was cool. hilarious. Are you such a poser? Why do you with the hair and the and then and then she actually done that. She tries the pose and then she's like, "Oh God, no, no, this is awful." This is I awful. just tried to do the hair thing. It was a mistake. It was oh. a mistake. Well, yeah, the pose thing, and we get it a couple of times in there from both of the ladies. So that I don't know. So if, good. I don't know if we'll see it again. Yeah, it's, it's again. It's total sibling energy. I loved it. I feel like I don't know if any of the people in the writing room there, like, I don't know what their sibling situation is, but it felt very familiar as somebody who has a younger sister who has tried to kill me on multiple occasions. (laughs) She threw a cat at me once during an argument. (laughs) That's a new story. (laughs) She also tried to drown me at a pool once. Ooh. Um, Are you sure that you want to go see your sister? Oh, yeah, no, we're great now. Okay. It turns out that, like, some distance and a few years can really help a lot of those, like, teenage angst problems, which, oh, part of me is like, I would have loved to see them grow up together as teenagers, but that would have been stressful. They probably would have killed each other or one of them or something like that. So this does start in Ohio in 1995. It does pick up 21 years later. If you do the math on that, that is 2016, which both with the timeline of 2016 and with the storyline, it happened right after the Civil War movie, Captain America Civil War, which premiered in June 2016. So they're staying true to at least the timeline that they have created there within it. So Another thing to note, this isn't a pre-snap world. This is before Infinity War and and before Endgame there. So it's important to note. And then also I want to say that I'm glad they didn't try within this film, and I think it was outside of the bounds of the film anyway, but I'm glad they didn't try to resurrect Natasha with this film. At the end, there is a grave. Presumably it's to memorialize her. We never got her body back, right? No. But supposedly she still is dead in current time which is the post credit scene basically with yelena there who knows what the multiverse is going to bring us who knows what what if is going to bring us but going into what if at least we know that natasha is still supposedly sacrificed a lot of people I mean even us we talked about how how lame that was how you know lame her death was she didn't get to participate in the final battle But she did still enact a sacrifice. And I think that sacrifice still needs to mean something, but I don't know what the multiverse... I mean, the multiverse gives us different outcomes. And remember, Doctor Strange, he went how many millions of scenarios, and this was the only one that worked, right? Well, I don't think he was considering a multiverse. I don't know. So 
I still think that her sacrifice means something, but that's just my opinion. I still think Hawkeye should have been the one, but yeah, with that, it on the one hand, I want her back. I love these their interactions. I love Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, but you see this so many times in other media where somebody will do something and then it's retconned and it's like, oh, well, that didn't matter. So yeah, there needs to be some consequences, much as I hate to admit it. Right. Michelle and I were talking last time about Tony Stark in particular and, and how that was just so perfect in the story. And I think that needs to be where it is right now. Michelle, did I mischaracterize that? No. Okay. So the other thing that I want to talk about was, remember, there was a lot of talk about Natasha's red ledger at the end and her needing to atone. I remember the, you know, in, when Avengers first came out and Loki gets to her by saying Drakov's daughter and you think, oh, is this somebody with the red room in her past? So-and-so, is this a reference to her biological father? I want to say Drakov exists in the comics, I believe. So you go back and think of that. And here you find out she is not the Drakov's daughter. That is her guilt over to get yourself out. You killed someone just like you or you thought you killed someone just like you. And that is the ultimate to her read in her ledger is she killed this as far as she knew innocent child yes she did at that point and then she understands a little bit more what's going on and also taskmaster is taken by the family away so i don't know what the future is of taskmaster in the mcu yeah who knows i mean they might be working on I don't know, a Black Widow series with Yelena. You know, I like Yelena. If we get her, I would be happy. I loved this version of Yelena. Yelena in the comics is a really complicated figure. This is a lot more streamlined, a lot more, you know, it, it fits in with the movies. And Florence Pugh was just amazing. I want to go watch Midsummer again, like right now. I went to her IMDb and I saw her credits and that's where I saw the Father of the, of the Bride part three-ish. I don't remember it happening last September, but it did. It was streamed. It was a charity event in September of 2020. And it was hmm. like this 25 minute YouTube streamed event or Netflix streamed event. It's also on YouTube. And it was the family, the Father of the Bride family, the Banks family with the next wedding. And Yelena played the youngest Banks, the oops baby, basically, at the end of Father of the Bride 2. And she just, or not Yelena, Florence, she just knocked it out of the park and was instantly, you know, you could see her as part of the Banks family and stuff like that. So I really enjoy Florence Pugh and I, I really can't wait to see her again. So even though we've seen her and stuff that's really cool, her IMDb credits is not all that much so disney definitely did some fantastic casting to get her based off of her limited work and then just her natural abilities i'm very grateful and then you find out there's so i've been on i pop in on like buzzfeed every now and then and like they're like here's a bunch of details you didn't notice in black widow here's some behind the scenes stuff here's some stuff from an interview and the fact that apparently she and Scarlett Johansson were just joking constantly on the set. I think you could tell there was chemistry there and people suggesting things like apparently she was the one that whole when Alexi, okay, a man wrote that line. Are you on your period? And then Florence Pugh, the, the director was going to take it out, but then she was like, no, wait, I think I have something. And that's the whole, oh no, my, my removed uterus. Totally. This is what's going on. That was fantastic oh god again. that was the best description of a hysterectomy ever and it she's was. like I, why are you stopping me i was going to get to the fallopian tubes you know <laughs> just her hand motions with all the things and everything it was like i i was told i wouldn't have made that mistake that alexi did but if i did that would have been totally me of oh okay well i'm just okay <laughs> back away here you ask something, you should be prepared to deal with the answer. 
Uh, the only other thing that I have personally to talk about here is the fact that now Yelena is going to go after Hawkeye. And I don't know how that all is going to work out, if that's going to be good, if that's going to be bad, if it's going to be actual Hunter, if it's going to be one of those things that she likes Hawkeye and, and has connected with Hawkeye already. I don't know. So what do you think, Lauren? So Jeremy Renner, we had talked like a couple years ago about his uh, personal problems with potential domestic violence. And there has been a very strong, you know, recast Hawkeye in the series for this. But I would kind of see it as a way for Disney to, first of all, not have to keep costs down by only paying him for a couple of episodes and also remove a problematic actor if they, you know, had her kill him and then hates like, oh, I need revenge. But then, oh, this is all a misunderstanding. And it takes us one step closer to the inevitable Thunderbolt series. Yeah, the death of Hawkeye. I could see it. I think it's inevitable to happen, really. <laughs> Pretty much. It's all of the, like, phase one Avengers are, you know, they're like, we've been doing this for so long. I want to eat a hamburger. Please let me not have to do fit into this costume and do all these stunts for a bit. And it's like, yeah, you deserve this. You deserve to rest on your laurels a bit. But I love that they are keeping things moving forward. The universe is still there. The universe is still all this potential with these new stories, with these, you know, Marvel has so many characters in their vault and we've only seen a very small percentage of that and even though some of them are like weird characters there was a whole thing a few years ago a character was killed on screen and they were like well oh it's a character nobody cares about every somebody's that that is somebody's favorite character just statistically you're talking about sitwell right you're talking no. about agent sitwell right <laughs> movies that would be, that would, see, that would be yours. And then, but there's this wealth of characters that we can do stuff with and we don't have to keep going back to that same well. And I just, I love that. I love that so much. Sitwell is not my favorite character. I think <laughs> the long-term listeners of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. will know who my favorite character is. Oh, yes. Uh, still happy for uh, all that Agent 13 in? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, it's got, we talked about it already. It's got a couple of ways yeah. it can go there. All right. Any last words on this movie, Michelle? It was interesting during that crash scene when Natasha goes after Taskmaster, all of a sudden it was like, this is Saints Row the third in the beginning with the plane and you're going down and you're shooting. And I just thought it was like, oh my goodness, I'm in the video game. Cool. See, I was thinking something similar, but. So I have the Marvel's Avengers game that came out last year, and the opening scene for story mode is you are playing as Natasha fighting Taskmaster on a bridge. And it felt familiar, but like kind of pleasantly so. And who knew uh, just days before the Summer Olympics were going to happen in 2021 that we would see an Olympic style dive from Natasha Romanov off that bridge. I mean, I would give her a 9.8. I do not know how they grade those, actually. But anyway. I'm just thinking of difficulty alone. It's a oh, yeah, long, point, long way down. Point. Yeah, There's just a wealth of stuff that you can find online of people analyzing different things in the movies. The costume design, the set design, the little character details, all of the stuff that called back. I just loved it so much. You could tell it was made by somebody who cared about, like, this is the story we're telling and this is how we want to connect it back and it was fun and it was sad and it was it had so many narrative things that i love i want to watch this movie like five billion more times i do as well and i can do that because i bought it so we'll talk about that in a little bit anyway that's the crux of our coverage here on black widow if you have any comments that you want to make on black widow please get it to us you can Leave it in our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. You can tweet us at our account at Legends of Shield, or you can email me, StargatePioneer at gunnageek.com, and we will talk about your feedback on a future show. 
Next week, we will be covering the entirety of the Modoc series. This is the Patton Oswald stop animation kind of film. It's robot chicken meets Marvel with yeah. pretty much everything that entails. So we're going to be talking about that the entire series next week. So get ready for a good ride. And as we ramp up for our coverage of what if in the meantime, we do have some Marvel news to talk about, including Black Widow box office. So stay tuned. Well, since we've been talking about Black Widow, why don't we just go on and talk about our box office? This was a very interesting box office because it is one of the few movies to come out after movie theaters have started to reopen in North America following COVID. Not all movie theaters are still open. Not all screens are open, but a lot were, as well as Marvel slash Disney decided to release this as premium video on demand for $30. So everybody was scratching their heads on what is this box office going to be? Or is this going to be resurrecting the box office? Uh, You have a Black Widow movie, so a female-led movie for Marvel. We've already had one with Captain Marvel, but like, how is this going to do and everything? And so here's how it played out. So the last movie before the pandemic, the last blockbuster before the pandemic was Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, and on opening weekend, it earned $177 million domestically. That wasn't by far the biggest ever. That actually goes to a Marvel movie, but uh, that was pretty good, right? And this past weekend, or two weekends ago, with Black Widow, it earned $80 million domestically and $78.8 million internationally for a total of $158.8 million worldwide not bad right well here's the thing disney comes out and for the first time ever they release the premium video on demand numbers revenue that they have received of 60 million dollars bringing the total opening weekend for black widow to 218 million dollars so a bunch of questions did they do this just to get the box office above 200 million dollars Did they do this just to say, hey, look, this is viable and you can watch this on Disney Plus. So if you haven't bought it already, you can go ahead and buy it. I mean, there's a ton of speculation as to why they did it, because they didn't announce that they were going to do it. Nobody's verified these numbers. It's not like standard box office numbers where everybody kind of agrees to, okay, we can guesstimate because it's all estimates. It's not actual box office numbers that come in. So there's no standard for this. And is this going to happen in the future? So the second weekend came out and it just dropped like a rock. It it went down like 60, 62% or something like that in the box office here domestically, which was really unheard of for Marvel movies lately. And I think part of that is because it is on Disney Plus on demand. Here's what you get, by the way, with the Disney Plus. For $30 here in the United States and $35 up in Canada, you get the movie for the three months before it comes out on Disney Plus as a freebie. So in three months, it's going to come out as a freebie in October. You can only purchase it for the first two months. And then there's one month where you can't purchase it. It's basically, if you haven't purchased it by then, it's in the vault. But if you have purchased it, you can watch it as many times as you want. So this kind of gets away from your ability to go back to the theater to get those second run things. If you want to watch it again, just sit down on your couch and throw it on and watch it again. So I don't know, based on this experience, not necessarily with the opening weekend, but then with the drop in the box office the second weekend, I don't know how many other films this is going to work for for Disney. I speculated on the Gunna Geek show that. I think this would only work for the big films that everybody wants to see. It's not going to work for the minor films that not everybody wants to see. So I don't know. I don't know if we'll see it again or not. So Lauren, what do you think? So I did go see this in the theater. This is the first time I've gone to a movie theater in a year and a half. It was equal parts scary and fun. But because I'm in Texas and nobody wears masks here anymore. 
But the theater that I saw it at, it was at like it was full capacity for how they were doing the seating where Alamo Draft House was leaving seats in between parties. And so that's already like, you know, you don't have a butt in every seat. And then add that to people like me. I'm only, you know, normally it's like, oh, okay, I'll go see a movie. I am only going to like the big ones for the foreseeable future. And yeah, I'm going to do it the one time there and then, yeah, come home. Maybe do it on demand here if I want to watch it again. But I think that fact that the theaters are selling so much fewer seats, if they're still doing safety measures, that's also a factor. Yeah, the Disney Plus thing's probably a factor. Well, definitely a factor because it's cheaper to buy if you're taking your family. It's cheaper to buy that $30 and just eat at home and stuff than to go to the evening show or something. And I know that there's been an outcry with theater owners of like, oh, this is going to kill our business. I don't. So the thing is, they're going to have to adapt. I think we may have discussed this before. They need to make it into an experience instead of just butts and seats, see it on a big screen. I live in an area where people don't wear masks and they say they got the vaccine, but they don't. And we're getting variants of COVID that are more easier to transmit. and just as bad like everyone thinks it's oh it's over we have vaccines that half of us are taking we could take off our masks now but no it's not done there's already talks of booster vaccines because of the variants so i have no idea when i'm even going to go back to the movie theater because it's a closed space for three hours It's not like going outside to something because also it's like not only would I have to wear a mask, I would also have to wear gloves because who knows if they clean the armrest, right? So then you're touching the armrest and then you got to come home and then you got to take off all your clothes and then you got to wash all your clothes right away. And then it's just, it's so much of a hassle because you don't know just how clean everyone is and and nobody's wearing masks and not and and people are lying about getting vaccines at least here and it's just like i have no idea when i would actually be going to the theater again i just don't know yeah and from a company standpoint they understand this and the thought is if i was them is how am i going to continue to make money because let's take a look at the last few movies that came out for the mcu Before COVID, you had Infinity War in 2018, which opened to a domestic of $258 million, which was the highest ever to date. Then you had Endgame comes out and its opening weekend was $350 million, which was the biggest to date and $1.2 billion ever to date. Now, is this an Avengers level movie? No, it's a single movie kind of like Captain Marvel, which was 2019, opened to $154 million domestically and $320 million internationally. So that's the level of which they are probably looking at for their return on investment in order so that they can keep making these movies and keep making money on it. Because Disney wants to make money on, on this stuff. That's why they spent money on it, and that's why they're throwing a bunch of cash and effort into making this stuff. With that said, I don't know what the answer is. I speculated also on the Guinea Gate show that perhaps instead of purchasing a rental fee of like $20 or maybe $25 where you can have access to the movie for 48 hours might be better than just having $30 and then it's yours for three months basically until it comes out on Disney Plus. Now you have to maintain your Disney Plus account while you're doing this as well. I think there's also the fact that... um it's that trade-off. It's you you're used to renting things online for like what, two, three bucks, five bucks if it's HD. So my first instinct when I see, oh yeah, rent this for $30 is like, ha, you're kidding. And then of course you think about it and you break it down and it's like, okay, well, it's gonna cost this much if I'm gonna go see it in the movies and have the snacks and everything. Especially if you have, you know, multiple people in your family that you're paying for. But it's that gut instinct of I'm not paying $30 for something that I'm not owning. 
again, there's more to it than that. But I think that's one of the things that they are considering. It's like if I'm paying $30 and I get to see it once, not worth it. If I get paid $30 and I get to see it a bunch of times, more worth it. And also, another thing that's just going to hurt is productions are shutting down. Like, I think, like this show Bridge Bridgerton, Bridgerton, that is on high. They had to stop production. They have no idea when they're going to come back because two people tested positive for COVID. There's a movie where they're they're thinking about mandatory vaccines for everyone. There's others where I think the Mission Impossible had to shut down for some time. So that's another thing when you have cast and crew testing for positive for COVID. Everything's got to shut down for a minimum of two weeks. So then you're going to have less, you're going to have, you are going to have fewer movies coming out. So the fact it's not just people going, it's eventually going to be what's going to be available. And people just don't understand the adaptations of behavior we need to do in to order to make all of this safe again. Mm-hmm. Not going to argue with anything you said. There needs to be safety. There needs to be healthy people, basically. And it's a fight between people's just want to be normal and Disney wanting to make money and the virus and what it's going to do. Because who knows what it's going to do in the future here? Yeah, it's all between what we want and reality. Right. So in the meantime, This was the first time premium video on demand was used on a major picture and it wasn't the first time it was used, but it was used on a major picture opening weekend. We saw the results. We'll see if they continue with the next movie or not. Uh, It's hard to equate it to Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers is a simply in 2021, a subscription to HBO Max. That's all it is. So it's hard to equate it between the two on what movies are, are going to make what like wonder woman i think her box office was only like 16 17 million but i don't know what that led to in terms of hbo subscribers either yeah mm-hmm. you know what just bring back drive through movies because yes. i could just sit in my car please bring back drive through movies because then you could have a whole bunch of cars and a huge screen maybe three screens who knows and everybody's just in their car and they have their own snack I would do that. I would do that. Bring back drive through movies. Because I think, I really think that's one of the solutions. It absolutely is. Because then we, everybody would know everybody and you would have your car disinfected. You wouldn't have to worry about things. It's your own self-contained pod. There you go. Drive-in movies. Yep. Drive-in movies, buy the tickets online. Okay. In other movie news, uh, we have, Casting news for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Okay, so I squealed when I saw this. Michaela Cole of I May Destroy You, Chewing Gum, Black Earth Rising. She played a senator in Last Jedi? No, Force Awakens. But she is going to be joining the cast of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And she's joining returning cast members Denai Gria. Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya, Winston Duke, Lupita Nyong'o, Florence Kasumba, and Angela Bassett, presumably all playing the same roles. Ryan Coogler's returning as director. Production is currently underway in Atlanta. No word on who she's going to be playing, but she's a fantastic actress. I love her so much, so I am excited. I'm excited for Black Panther, and of course... just curious as to how they're going to move forward. I'll watch it anyway. I was planning on watching it, but after what has happened, how is the series going to proceed? Who's going to be the lead? Is there going to be a lead or is it going to be more an ensemble? I could see an ensemble too here. I can definitely see an ensemble. I look forward to seeing this movie next year, hopefully. And our final piece of news is that Loki executive producer, director Kate Heron is not returning for season two. Yeah, so she told Deadline earlier, I guess this week, that she's not returning, saying, I always planned to be just on for season one. And to be honest, season two wasn't in the 
That's something that just came out. And I'm excited. I'm really happy to watch it as a fan next season. But I just think I'm proud of what we did here and I've given it my all. I'm working on some other stuff yet to be announced. And yeah, that is perfectly valid. You told the story you want to tell. If somebody else wants to continue on it, step back. So I can't be too upset about that. Kate wasn't the showrunner. So, oh, yeah. Um, she was the executive no. producer. And, I, said, I said executive producer. Yeah. Right. So I was just qualifying. She wasn't the showrunner. Okay. So there have been many, many cases of a director or a series of directors being in a season and then just not coming back. So, and when I first heard this, I was like, oh, I wonder what happened. But then I thought about it. It's like, well, she was just a director. She directed all six episodes, but it was just a director. That can be another director. It doesn't have to be the same director. She did. Well, the, the approach Marvel has been taking with WandaVision and Falcon and Loki having the same director for all six, that is a break in like what Netflix did with, you know, like, oh, look, it's that director, like Arrow and everything. It seems as though Marvel was taking the approach of the director writing creative team working together in order to make it more of like a film experience because in film the director is very important so Mm -hmm. it seems as though with marvel television they wanted to blend that director is important with the vision and so is the writing so it is going to be interesting to see who they do get as the and i predict the director for loki season two i think you're right i was actually talking about this with some friends earlier this week that one of the like one of the reasons that later like we were talking about like okay phase two definitely felt like it was the weakest of the marvel phases to me and i think part of that reason is you have phase one where they're like okay we're being really experimental about it we know we're heading toward this goal but we don't know what phase two they were still under control of the um the story department or whatever it the was board. That, yeah, yeah the, the board it was it was more of a you know rule by commission thing which generally makes for weaker stories and then once they step back from that you that's when you start seeing a lot of these repeat names among people that aren't john favreau you know we have the people who have experience writing from like agents of shield who have experience writing from daredevil who have experience from the movies and you have them coming in so you have this core group of people who knows this is the tone we're going for these are what the characters are like this is the kind of story that we're going toward and that's a whole lot. It's it's a lot easier to be unified with fewer people all sharing the same vision than with a bunch of people trying to like rule by fiat. The one thing that I will qualify everything with, though, is I listened to this other podcast, the Delta Flyers. It's about Star Trek Voyager and a couple of the characters that were on it, including Robert Duncan McNeil, who has now transitioned from acting to the production side of the house and the directing side of the house. And one thing that he has said in that podcast numerous times is directing an episode takes so much out of you. It's so much of a job. And for these short series where you're only doing six episodes, I could see one director being able to do it all, especially if it's not an eight day production thing. It's. 20-day production, 30-day production, whatever it is, you can do if you can film it like a film and you can film episode six before you film episode three or scenes from all over the place, which is great just due to the availability of actors and and staging and, and stuff like that. But it still takes a lot out of you. So I can see Kate's desire to move on to other projects, take some time off in between. I can see that and I can not fault her for that at all. Just because I know as a direction, now it's not writing or producing directing. It does take a lot of effort to do that. That's why when you see big movies being directed by Steven Spielberg or George Lucas or whatever, they only do one every year or two or three or something like that. They don't do one every year. It just takes a lot of time to be put it together. So I agree with everything you said. I think it's great to combine everything and have the same team, but also I can see people in supporting roles, supporting production roles. Basically the director is kind of difficult to say that with, but that's how I view it as is somebody that you can replace with somebody else and still keep the core of the story together. 
Yeah, you always have to take in account the human factor and the fact that, yeah, you know, it's six episodes to us, but it's basically the equivalent of three movies and all the stress and all the, you know, everything there. So I'm not surprised that she's stepping back from that. She told her story. She's like, okay, I'm going to go do something else. So part of me is like, I'm betting they'll get like somebody familiar, like somebody who's maybe been waiting in the wings for this. But also, I'd like to see them bring in new talent. So we'll see what ends up happening. wonder if Tom Hiddleston would want to direct. From what I understand, most, not most, but a good chunk of actors do want to direct, first of all, because you're not going to be young and pretty forever. And also because sometimes you want to be the person moving the pieces around instead of the piece being moved. That would be a lot because he would be the star and and directing all of that. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Notice how Jonathan Frakes, how Riker was in the episodes markedly less in the episodes of Next Gen that Jonathan Frakes directed. It's stress. I could see him maybe taking an active role in the writing. Yeah. Well, I think he did inherently. Well, I think he yeah, was we, we know he did the like basically impromptu two hour discussion on yeah. these are this is Loki and these are his motives. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this whole series was Tom Hiddleston's thesis on every thought that I've had about this character for the past like decade. <laughs> yeah. I think as we go forward here, as uh, projects end up their filming uh, over the summer, Marvel, I think we're going to get a lot more news about the rest of the phase four here as it progresses. But it's been a fun ride so far, even though it's just been three Disney Plus series and a movie so far. But I've been enjoying it and I'm glad that I still podcast about Marvel. All right. Are you guys ready to uh, do something else here? I think we're going to jump into a helicopter. And escape an avalanche. This has been a really fun year to podcast about Marvel with all the new content that has been coming out in different forms than we're used to. I mean, this podcast is very familiar with TV shows, but the streaming shows that are canon as part of the MCU. That's a new ball game, and it's just been really fun. So I just want to say thank you to Marvel and Disney for putting this out. And I also want to thank our listeners for listening to us talk about all this stuff and then giving us feedback as we go on and uh, in the chat, in the live chat as we record. So thank you very much. I'd like to thank you, SP, and you, Michelle, for, first of all, doing this for so long, doing everything that you do every week. And the last couple of weeks have been really bad for me health-wise and like it was killing me not to be here talking with y'all and you both just you know you you continue on and you do all this stuff and I think you guys deserve to be celebrated I mean this is this is a lot thank you so much for just being you I'm all for the celebration will there be cake I mean, I have pie. I have key lime pie downstairs. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I'll pass. Oh, more for me. Of course, love, like to thank, of course, all of our listeners, everyone who's in Discord. That's where I mostly am. And to SP and Lauren for understanding why I need a sabbatical. I, need, I am taking a sabbatical. I'll be back. My plan is after Labor Day, but I life and stuff. Yeah, so dear listener, stick around. SP's got some really cool things coming up, some really cool guests and everything. So yeah, thank you very much for understanding. What were we just talking about, about the human factor? It's always best to do self-care. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you will be missed, but uh, we will be expecting you back in September. Thank you. Rested and (laughs) fresh-faced. Yep. It's just one of those things with uh, work and, and everything that just needs to be done. But until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye. It's a Toxamodoc. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, 
Go to gunnageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. How do we want to get this one out? Hang from a helicopter as we escape an avalanche. <laughs> that was cool. I'd do that. That was really cool. I would not do that because I would die. That would be a cool way to die. Okay. Or get in the helicopter and escape an avalanche. If we don't want to hang from the helicopter, I guess we can just <laughs> get in the helicopter to escape the avalanche. If that's the way you want to do it. You know, Michelle, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're going to be the one saying it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh. Legends of Shield is copyright 2013 through 2021.